Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Thank you, Linda, very much. Uh, Keep that open, if you would, uh, in front of you. Uh, You might also find a corner of one of the bits of paper you were given on the way and to write a few notes if you like that sort of thing. Shall we pray together? Our Father God, we thank you for uh, the words of your Son, the Lord Jesus, in this passage And as we look at them now, we pray, please um, open his words to our minds and our hearts. uh, And open our minds and our hearts to his words. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Whilst my wife, Morag, was uh, in her early years as a junior doctor, she did a stint as a GP, which wasn't her favourite job. And in the spirit of patient confidentiality, let me share with you some of the deeply pressing uh, health needs that walk through the door. Here are my two favorites in reverse order. Uh, I have a spot on my face. I had another spot on my face, but now that one's gone away. What do you think I should do? (laughs) But my favorite one is this. Doctor, I have a serious problem. My hair is too curly. To which I think Morag wanted to reply, how's your eyesight? Because this is the doctor's, not the hairdresser's. But I don't think she actually said that. Sometimes people just end up at the doctors who really don't need to be there. Uh, But sometimes it's the opposite problem. There are some people who just, in the face of really serious symptoms, just won't go. Um, Men, I think we're worst at this. We're especially useless at going to the doctor. Now, girls, you need to know that it's not that we suffer any less than you do. In fact, any man who's had a a dose of uh, that serious health condition known as winter man flu will tell you what a catastrophic, near-life-threatening condition it really is. It's not that we suffer any less than you. We're just not very good at going to the doctor. I read this week uh, a list of top ten reasons why men refuse to go to doctors. Some of them were funny, some of them were kind of pathetic. Uh, But one of them was quite telling. In at number three was this reason. There's probably nothing wrong. I don't need any help. I guess it's comforting to think that we're healthy uh, and that there's nothing wrong with us. Uh, But if we're wrong, if there really is, then we leave ourselves in a very dangerous position. You know, if you're sick and you just refuse to recognize the signs... And that's the theme of our passage today that Linda just read for us. Let's read again from verse 13. 
Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, it's two weeks since we've been together in Mark's gospel. Maybe you're a bit new or you're just trying to catch up with with where we are. Actually, these verses are not a bad place to go if you're looking for a bit of a summary of the sorts of things that Jesus has been doing a lot of in the first chapter. Uh, So a crowd gathers, uh, Jesus teaches them, and then he calls someone to follow him. Uh, All things that Jesus has been doing a lot of. So firstly, a, a crowd gathers, and you might ask, why? Well, flip back to chapter 1, verse 15, and you'll you'll see that Jesus began his ministry with these words, the kingdom of God is near. And and so crowds are gathering to hear someone who makes such an extraordinary claim. See, for the first century Jew, um, they knew to be waiting in eager expectation for God to send a a, a king, a a leader, a, a messiah, And this figure who somehow uh, would sort out the mess that the world was in, would bring a new kingdom, a new world order, if you like. Someone who would restore the world to be what it ought to be. And we've seen as well, if you've been here in previous weeks, that while we might not use the same language as a sort of religious first century Jew, we might not say we're looking for a Messiah, but really isn't that what many of us are looking for in life? Uh, Watch the news, global, local. Take an honest look at the relationships around you. Sometimes most scary, take an honest look into your own heart. Don't we want a world that's better than this? Now don't we find, to use the medical language as we look around, that the world is full of symptoms, that there is a great sickness. And we feel the pain of living in a world like that, don't we? You know, we feel the pain and the loss of, of living in a world of sickness and death and suffering. Add to that, that that one look at the TV news this last week shows you that evil is alive and well in the world. This week, another hostage. This time, a 26-year-old aid worker killed by IS. And we just long for a better world, don't we? And so as Jesus, God's king, arrives on the scene and says, this kingdom is near. And as he gives glimpses of what this kingdom will be like, glimpses of a new world where sickness is put to bed once and for all, and where evil is driven out once and for all, well, it's no surprise that people just flock. Is this the one? But secondly, look what Jesus does with the crowd. He starts to teach them. So this is back in chapter 2, verse 13. And again, it's not a bad summary of the sort of things that Jesus has been doing so far. He said back in chapter 1, verse 38, let us go to the nearby villages so that I can, well, not heal. I mean, you might expect him to say that. He has been healing and driving out demons and so on. You might expect him to say, come, let's go somewhere else so I can do more of that. But he says, come, let's go to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also which is a bit of a surprise but the point is this this new world order it's not going to arrive simply by Jesus patching up the current system one healing at a time no something bigger is required 
And it is the case that there is no place in God's perfect, good, coming kingdom for those of us with all of our imperfections, those of us who are not good. And so Jesus says there is a bigger problem. It isn't just our physical sickness. Worse than that, what needs to be addressed is our spiritual sickness, what the Bible calls our sin. And so Jesus comes to preach and teach and tell us that. The kingdom is near. You need to have your sin dealt with if you want to be a part of it. And so Jesus says, come, repent, believe. But thirdly, he calls someone to follow him. That's the third thing he does. And in this case, it's Levi, son of Alphaeus. And again, it's not a bad summary, the kind of thing that Jesus has been doing. Crowds flock, Jesus teaches and preaches, and he calls people to follow him. Do you remember back in chapter one as well, he's just called a bunch of local fishermen, Simon, Andrew, James. And be clear, whenever Jesus uses this word follow uh, in Mark's gospel, he's not asking a small thing. It's not just sort of come and hear my sermon or come and have your tea at my place. He will use the same language in chapter 8, that famous bit that you probably know, where he says to follow him is to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. It's no small thing he means when he says follow. He means become a full disciple. You see, when we get Jesus calling Levi, that's where it gets a bit spicy. I guess fishermen probably weren't sort of top of the social ladder you know, they're probably the kind of people who are a bit despised by the religious hoi polloi of the day. They're kind of a bunch of commoners. But maybe Jesus gets away with calling them or hanging out with them. Maybe he's just being kind to the simple folk or something, that kind of thing. But when you get to Levi, well, that's a totally different matter. Because Levi is a tax collector. Now, that doesn't shock you. Maybe because you just know the passage so well. But it should. It really should. Trouble is, when we read tax collector, uh, what do we think? I don't know, HMRC? Um, to us, in our culture, I mean, I appreciate that the tax man is probably not, you know, you're exact, exactly your sort of warmest snuggle buddy, but he's not a banker either, mind you. So, but we do see tax, you know, basically as a good thing, don't we? Done rightly. In fact, in our culture at the minute, uh, it's the people who refuse to pay their tax who we're all really annoyed with. Um, So despite the fact that, not that I'm bitter about this, but despite the fact that last time I went to the cinema, I literally paid more for my cup of coffee than my cinema ticket. This is the first year when Starbucks, and only because of huge outside pressure, have handed over anything in the way of corporation tax to the UK government because they have been, quotes, not making profit in the UK. Don't read tax man here and think uh, benevolent bureaucrats. Uh, You're better to read tax collector here and think pyramid scheme con man or guy who swindles old ladies out of inheritance on doorstep. See, in the Jewish society, the tax collector really is the lowest of the low. What are our equivalents today? I don't know. Pedophiles? Terrorists? If you know much of of the story of of the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation, you'll know that they're living in a land which has been given to them by God because of a promise of blessing. And so the land is really significant to them. But now, an occupying power, the Romans, have muscled in 
And they're, they're offering them the chance to pay taxes for the privilege of living in their own, literally God-given land. But what's the real slap in, in the face for them is that some of their own people, for nothing more than the sake of personal advancement, have prostituted themselves to the Romans in order to be tax gatherers. In what was East Germany, it was famously policed by the Stasi who recruited vast numbers of the populace as informants, spying on their neighbours, betraying people, family, friends. I was reading a bit about this this week. Many of them were recruited because of fear or repression or blackmail. Apparently the studies say that, that quite a number of people volunteered to serve in that way volunteered to spy on and betray their own families and friends and neighbours. I, I guess for the sake of personal advancement in some form or other. Betraying your own people for self-advancement. That's the Jewish taxman. That's Levi. Add to that though, it gets even worse. Um, his role wasn't just as a bureaucrat to collect kind of monies that were legally owed anyway. Levi would have swindled his people out of their money. That's the way he would have made his money. He made it through direct dishonesty, by deception, by preying on weak and vulnerable people, by stealing from his own people. And then it gets worse. Add to that, the Pharisees who find themselves in conflict with with Jesus here are a deeply religious lot. And they have even more reason to despise him because being a tax man meant constant contact with Gentiles. And that meant that no religious Jew in their right mind would ever consider a job like this because it left you permanently, ritually unclean. And do you remember back at the end of chapter one, we met a leper who was also um, unclean, outcast from society and from community. But at least the leper didn't choose it. Here is Levi, a betrayer of his own people, outcast, unclean, raking it in for the sake of self-advancement. He is a man who has wholeheartedly embraced a godless life. And yet, Jesus who in the immediately preceding verses has claimed to be God, calls him as a follower. And then it gets even worse. Where do they go next? As if the kind of public spectacle wasn't enough. Well, back to the tax man's place to eat together. They're literally reclining around the table. A close, intimate, personal friendship. And it gets even worse again. So it seems as if Jesus of calling, uh, calling Levi is not a one-off. It seems as if perhaps Jesus has been involved in this business of calling sinners before because now there's a whole crowd of them. That's verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for there were many who followed him. And this is all too much for the religious leaders. Verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And in a way, it's kind of a fair question, isn't it? Picture a different scene. Um, You're driving home through town late one night and you take a wrong turn, as I still do even 
after seven years of living here. And you end up in the wrong part of town. I mean, just really the wrong part of town. And uh, you're pretty sure the girls with all the puncture marks in their arms and the low-cut dresses and the high-up heels are not just walking along the curbside because they're trying to hail a taxi. And then as the traffic slows to a stop, out of the corner of your eye, you see someone that you think you might recognize. And then you think he begins to approach you, so you wind down the window. Who is this guy? But he isn't coming to talk to you. He's going to talk to one of the prostitutes. They seem to be having a really nice time together, getting along really well. So much so that after a few minutes of conversation, they go off together into a local bar. And through the steamed up windows, you can just about see them sit down at a table in the window. And after a while, there are more prostitutes who join them. And they all sit down together and they seem to be having a very nice time. And they're ordering drinks and stuff from the bar. And then as the traffic begins to pull away, you realize with a shock why you thought you recognized that man. Because you did recognize that man. Because it was the music coordinator from church. Or imagine you came round to my house one night to find me dining with a guest list taken straight off the local sex offenders register. Or imagine if you saw every day from your office window, uh, from a view down into a local restaurant, me there every day in cosy business lunches with a known fraudster and con man. You might very well ask, why? Why does he cosy up with these people? You know, he's supposed to be an example in the church. What about honoring God and living a holy life? And, you know, is he not going to get led astray or, or contaminated somehow by all of this? That's how the Pharisees feel about Jesus. And they are people as well who know their Bibles. And you can guarantee that one of the reasons they're so outraged is that they have the words of Psalm 1 going around in their heads. You know Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. And yet here is Jesus apparently walking, sitting and standing with them all at once. And add to that, since these tax collectors are ritually unclean, you can guarantee that these Pharisees have the Old Testament laws on cleanliness going round in their mind. Here's how those rules basically work. If someone is ritually unclean, you don't touch them. And you don't go near them, not even in the same room. And you don't even sit on a seat that they have previously occupied because that's how you get infected. That's how you get unclean. It's like a contagion, an infection, a virus. It spreads. You don't go near. Uh, Some of you know James Mayring. He's a young doctor. He used to be part of this church family here. Uh, I'm not not in touch with him so much these days, but I saw on Facebook the other day that uh, he's just flown out to Africa to uh, help combat Ebola. And I saw a, a picture of him uh, suited up for the first time in all of his gear. You know, every inch of skin, you know, covered by impenetrable plastic. Ebola is a deadly contagion. You don't go near unless you're properly equipped because it spreads. And uncleanness is just the same. And yet, here is Jesus, not in some fancy suit, but sitting there in close, intimate contact uh, around the table. And it should be, at least this is what the Pharisees think, it should be that Jesus becomes unclean. There is just no room in their worldview for a prophet who has this kind of mates. As far as they're concerned, someone who has anything whatsoever to do with God 
well, should have nothing whatsoever to do with people like this. And for the Pharisees, it's all too much. But before you just say boo hiss and treat them like pantomime villains, it's worth asking the question, why do they think like that? And the answer, it seems to me, is that they, like most people today, basically divide the world into two categories of people. On the one hand, there are what you might call the deserving good, and they like to include themselves in that category, obviously. But on the other hand, there is the undeserving bad at the bottom of the ladder. Some time ago, there was a poll in the States that showed that 76% of people believed in heaven, and 75 people believed they had a, quotes good to excellent chance of getting there. Sorry, I said at the first service I didn't mean to do the accent. I didn't quite mean to do it again. Anyway, the point is that... Uh, that God will let you in if you live a good enough life. And with some minor variations, I think that serves as a fair summary for all the other world religions. And also, might I say, it serves as a fair summary of belief in 21st century Britain. If you're good enough, God will let you in. And we all, of course, like to believe we're in the top half. And it works for the Pharisees too. They're deeply religious people of their day. They like to look down on the tax collectors and the sinners, the undeserving bad at the bottom of the ladder. If you like, to put it another way, the Pharisees see themselves as spiritually healthy and then this other lot are spiritually sick. But the heart of the matter and of this passage is this. Jesus is very happy to agree that there are two categories of people in the world. It's just that he defines them radically differently. It's verse 17. Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And in case you think he's just talking about physical well-being, he goes on, I have not come to call the righteous, that's those people who think they're in right standing before God, but sinners, those who know they're not. Now, there are two categories of people, Jesus says, but it isn't the, uh, the deserving good and the undeserving bad. No, no, here's the two categories. There is, on the one hand, the spiritually sick who know that they're spiritually sick and who will come to Dr. Jesus for help. And on the other, there are the spiritually sick who think they're spiritually healthy who therefore will not come to Jesus for help. And even though Jesus speaks in this passage of the quotes, healthy who don't need a doctor, the reality is that that is an empty category. So ironically, even as these Pharisees are railing at Jesus, you know, in the words of Psalm 1 for sitting with sinners and all the rest of it, even as they're doing that, they themselves have become, ironically, the sinners of Psalm 2. Do you know Psalm 2? Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? They take up their stand and gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one, Jesus. These are the people who think they are spiritually healthy and onto the scene in front of them has walked Jesus, the anointed one of God. And all they want to do is get rid of him. And by chapter three, verse six, we'll see that all they want to do is kill him. There are the sick who know they're sick who will come to Jesus, and there are the sick who think they're healthy who will not. Jesus is making the extraordinary claim 
that all people are spiritually sick and need his help. I think about Levi. Levi would have had no pretensions at all about the fact that he was a sinner on the wrong side of God. There's no way you could have done this job and lived in that culture and not known that all too clearly. And yet when Jesus comes calling, when the doctor comes round, those who know their need will go to him. And what a doctor he is. Think back again to chapter one with the leper and and when Jesus cleansed him and healed him, I, I, I guess Jesus could have done that anywhere he liked. He could have just said, be healed or be clean or something, but that's not what he did, do you remember? He put his hand out and touched him. And by rights, the infection should have spread and Jesus himself should have become unclean, but that's not what happened. And by rights here, as Jesus sits down in close, intimate fellowship with tax collectors, by rights, the infection should spread and Jesus should be made unclean, but that's not what happens and the infection seems to work backwards. If I can put it this way, it's not that Jesus is infected, but that Dr. Jesus somehow spreads his cleanness, somehow spreads his spiritual health. And when it comes to those words from Psalm 1 about not sitting with sinners and endorsing their behavior and so on, don't misunderstand, Jesus isn't here to justify their wickedness. Remember, Levi was a very wicked man. What has Jesus said to Levi? He has said, follow. In other words, Jesus has called him away from the tax booth and in time to a new life. What does this all mean for us? As we close, two, two things, I think. Here's the first one. You're not too bad for Jesus. Whoever you are and whatever you've done, you're not too bad for Jesus. Look, maybe you sit on the fringes of Christianity or, or this church and you're looking in at all these other people who kind of seem all right and you just think, this is not for me. You know, if they knew what I'm like, they would agree too. It's not for me. You sit, as it were, in the tax booth of your own sin. You don't need any reminding of it. Its weight is with you all the time. And maybe it's the life of deception you've led, or there's that thing that you did. Maybe it's the the consuming anger and bitterness you've come to feel, or Maybe it's the pain that you know you've caused to others the way you've let them down. Maybe it's the baby you aborted or the addiction you just can't shake or the sex you shouldn't have had. Or frankly, which might sum up all of these, just a life lived ignoring your God and creator who gave you everything you have. And you think that the doctor can't help you. But if you don't mind me saying, you're wrong. How many homes do you think Levi ruined? How much misery caused? How many lies told? And yet Jesus says to him, come, follow me. And it isn't that Levi's sin or your sin doesn't matter. It does. It isn't that it doesn't count. It does. You probably feel that all too well. But that Jesus, who calls you to follow him, walked himself to the cross and he paid. You're not too bad for Jesus. Lots of us, though, might 
actually need to hear the opposite. You're not too good for Jesus. As I stand here and, and look out at you all, I know, because I know you, that, that we have everything from medical consultants with double doctorates uh, to former rough sleepers. We have people in both of those categories in our church family. You know, everything from magistrates to those themselves who have a criminal record. Imagine for a moment that this building here is a huge doctor's waiting room. It'd be a long wait, I appreciate Um, And imagine that through those doors over there is the consulting room. And one by one, our names are called and up we stand in silence and walk out through the doors. The shock of this passage is that every single one of us whatever our status or position in life, however we're viewed by anyone else, would walk back through those doors with the same stony look on our faces and the same diagnosis. Sick. Spiritually sick. Terminally spiritually sick. And only one hope of a cure, follow Jesus. It is a remarkable equality there is in the gospel, isn't it? And if you're a Christian here who, who, who wants to sort of know, well, have, I, have I got this? Have I understood it? Have I taken it on board? Well, ask yourself this question. Who am I prepared to hang out with and spend time with, even eat with? You know, am I, like Jesus was, prepared to give myself to share the gospel with the lowly and the shady sinners, as well as the respectable sinners of S10? And what about the tax collectors of today? We know what about the lowest of the low in our society? Imagine for a moment it's revealed in the local press that a sex offender's just moved into your street. What are you going to do? You know, are you getting all over social media saying what a scandal it is and setting up an online petition to have him removed? Or are you prayerfully, if it's appropriate, knocking on the door with a lasagna, hoping for a chance? to begin somehow to talk to him about Dr. Jesus. A group from our church family already run the soup wagon ministry, sharing food and friendship and the gospel. They're very clear about that. With the downtrodden and dispossessed, with the rush sleepers in town, are you prepared to be involved? I think more of us should be doing that ministry. Or what about the prison fellowship? All that said, remember that Levi wasn't a poor man. I mean, he'd nicked enough money to make sure that wasn't a problem for him. We are surrounded here in this city by both respectable sinners and poor, disreputable sinners. Are we prepared to share life with both so that both might be brought to Dr. Jesus? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the extraordinary clarity of Jesus' words here. Thank you that, as we prayed earlier, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know how to diagnose our condition and the problems of our world. Thank you that each of us is neither too bad nor too good to need you, not to need you. 
Help us to be people who see our needs and run to Dr. Jesus for help. And we pray in his name. Amen.